Hey everyone, and welcome back to Be You with Be You. Today's episode is an interview Brian did with Dr. Colin Champ, a radiation oncologist at Duke University. They cover everything from the power of diet and exercise to restoring an old Lexus LX450. We hope you enjoy. Sitting here with Dr. Colin Champ, and um, for many of you all, you heard the intro, and I remember the first time that I heard you speak was at uh, the IHMC. Uh, with Dr. Ford, the Institute of Human and Machine Cognition. Um, they did their, uh, what was their monthly series called? I forget what it was called. Yeah, I'm forgetting it too, since it's it's been so long <laughs> since it's happened. But it was great. We flew in, I uh, got to meet you, I got to hear you talk. And, and one of the things that really resonated with me was, uh, this was, I think, before your book came out. I think it was your first book, if I'm not mistaken. And um was just your whole approach on uh, on medicine, you know, and taking more of a, I would call it a common sense approach. Um, but, uh, you know, is this really kind of looking at, uh, I think you called it misled medicine um, for, for a big part of it. Um, but if you don't mind, kind of share with everyone a little bit uh, about what inspired you to go into medicine. And then after you got into medicine, like how you kind of formed some of the passions that you talked about in your book. Sure. Yeah. So I um, grew up in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, really uh, my, my, my grandfather had a huge influence on me and he uh, lived to 96, had his own garden exercise till he was in his nineties, just a really active, smart, uh, engaging person that, that, uh, was really against going to the the doctor. So it's funny that that's a, that's the person that kind of had me ending up in medicine. Um, but, uh, so he, he taught me the importance of, of being healthy and, and taking care of yourself at a young age. Um, my older brother was really into sports, uh, basketball into Wake Forest and pushed exercise on me at a very young age as well. So it's just kind of this, this consistent message that you need to take care of yourself. You need to, you need to work hard. And you need to learn more along the way. Uh, I remember in med school, I'm, I'm two years from being a physician. And my 90, at that time, 90, 89-year-old grandfather sending me specific flaxseed that he had sourced from this area of Canada because it was the highest omega-3 flaxseed in the whole world. And it was just this constant message of, you know, keep, keep learning, um, keep, keep figuring out what's best for you, what's most healthy for you. And so that really pushed me to go into medicine. And along the way, there was, there is uh, somewhat of a message throughout the medical field that you don't need to worry about taking care of yourself. You know, we'll, we'll take care of you with, with pills and potions and procedures. And that directly conflicted with why I was in medicine. My, my goal in, in medicine is to make people healthier, um, not not allow them to be sick and then give them something to, to offset the sickness. We, we want to fix the core issue. And so that was how misguided medicine ended up coming about where it was really the, the top issues that I had that I was learning about in med school that the data was not consistent with. So the, you know, the easy one is the, the low fat paradigm, the, the food pyramid, low salt, stay out of the sun, um, you know, run a lot, don't lift weights. It, there's just quite a few and there was just wasn't good data to back them up, no, no data to support them. So that's, that's where we came. Uh, that's how we got to mis, misguided medicine and le- less, less of a conspiracy theory, but more just 
telling people that they should take their health into their own hands and going to your doctor besides preventative care, going to your doctors uh, kind of to, to fix the issues after they arise with the goal is to stop the issues from arising in the first place. Right. And I know that you um, uh, have kind of a message, FLS, right, um, for, for people that uh, want to take control of their own health. And, you know, it was funny, years ago, I had a friend of mine and their, their father was a neurosurgeon, you know, and worked on a lot of backs. And he said that uh, he was an exception to the rule in the field at that time, that when patients would come to him, he would try to do everything to prevent them from going under the knife. You know, so he would say, you know, lose 30 pounds, you know, get into a good stretching regimen, build up your core. And he said that literally 80% of the times it would alleviate the need for surgery. I just remember this was back in 2000, 99, 2000. And uh, I know that you share a lot of the same sentiments that, um, you know, that's what taking control of your health is about, is not just living with vitality, but it's also the, the very first part of preventative so you don't have to do those procedures, but what would you uh, do right now if, if someone was listening and they want uh, to know, like, let's say the, the top three things that they can do to take control of their health, what would you recommend? Sure. Number one, lift heavy weights. Uh, no, number two, uh, keep any food that you would overeat out of your house. And then number three is stay mentally, I don't want to say this stay mentally activated. So be constantly learning, thinking, uh, and pushing yourself to approach all the stresses in life. Yeah. Uh, so I have to get rid of my ice cream. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> but it is true. Like when I have ice cream sitting there, I can be like perfect through the entire day. But if I know there's a pint of like black raspberry chip in the freezer, all of a sudden at 10 o'clock at night, when I'm the weakest, I go down there, I'm like, I'll just have a bite. And then the pint later, I'm like, why did I do that to myself? Yep. But if it's not there, then I figure something else out. Yep. Accept defeat and just don't have it around because because you will lose. We all we all lose. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, you, you mentioned, um, you know, fat. Uh, and it's something that uh, obviously I'm a big advocate of. Um, and I've actually learned more and more about fat, healthy fats, and how fat can be a positive fuel in the last five or six years. I, I never knew knew anything about it until, you know, we created Prove It. Um, but kind of share with everyone what you meant by, um, you know, fat is, is good, because I think there's a big misnomer for the masses out there still to this day um, on what that means. Sure. And that, that, that in itself ties into the don't have foods in your house that you'll overeat because a lot of us instead turn towards higher fat diets because they stop that overeating type behavior. Um, but yeah, so, you know, we've, we, everyone knows that, that, that the medical field has pushed uh, against fats, telling people to limit their fat in the diet. Um, the, the issue is there's, there's clear benefits of dietary fat and few people could argue those omega-3 fatty acids in the diet. Um, DHA is a, is a fat. Uh, that's very healthy for you, uh, conjugated linoleic acid and butter. So we go on and on about that. There's, there's really no argument there. The, the other, the other elephant in the room is if you're following a healthy real food diet, it's going to have fat in it. And at the same time, if you're pushing a Mediterranean diet, 
uh, whatever that means, because uh, it's all over the place. But but if you're pushing a Mediterranean diet, like, like that I wrote about in, in my book, Leonardo's Legacy, if you're pushing a Mediterranean diet that my great-grandfather ate when he came over from Italy, it was high in fat. It was high in real foods, but it was certainly high in fat as well. So there's parts of fat that, A, it's just good for you. Your cells require it. You require it for growth uh, and sustainability. And also it uh, helps to fill your appetite basically. So if, if you eat boneless, skinless chicken breasts your whole life, like we've told people to do for a while, you're always hungry. So there's, there's many layers to this as well. Um, and then you could go all the way out to, you know, very low fat diets for weight loss where the data is quite good. Ketogenic diets for weight loss where the data is quite good as well. Uh, and people can argue those, those things all day long, but in terms of the eating real food, everyone from both sides of the argument would agree with that to eat real food. And if you look at real foods, the periphery of the grocery store, uh, that often includes many higher fat foods. So you just, you really can't avoid them if you're trying to eat a healthy and full vitamin rich and nutrient rich diet. Right. Without ice cream. Without ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but in all seriousness, I know last year uh, you published your second book. You just mentioned it, uh, Leonardo's Legacy. Um, and I think that the subtitle is the science and philosophy behind diet and cancer through the ages. Um, but kind of share with us what inspired you to write the book and, and what are you the most excited about, uh, the book? Sure. Thanks. So the, the medical field and the, especially the dietary aspect of the medical field, the, there's really just been this push of the, a magic diet right? With some, some name, right? The South beach diet, or this diet, or that diet. And they they want it to be very prescriptive and they want the same diet for everyone. And I think that's, that's generally a mistake. Uh, they want it cookie cutter and easy. And I think that's generally a mistake and they want the data to support it, which I certainly agree with the latter part. Uh, and that's kind of what I hit on in my book, that if you look at the data, so, so I'm an oncologist, so all my, all my dietary recommendations generally revert back to cancer. If you look back to this anti-cancer diet, uh, it's really all over the place. And in fact, a lot of the things we tell people, there's not great data to support it. Uh, but again, it goes back to these, like we discussed a little bit ago, lifting heavy weights, eating real food, generally keeping carbohydrates low. If you look at the cancer data, uh, clearly there's a signal there that there's likely some benefit. And a lot of big time researchers are putting their money on that. But even then, if you dig down into the specifics, it's again, not that different from things that our great grandparents ate. And that's the message I, I talk about in the book where, you know, forget the Mediterranean diet, forget the, you know, I discuss keto, I discuss low carb, I discuss all those things. Um, and I do, I am a believer in many of them, especially in certain instances. Um, but if you, push this all together and go through the, the science of diet and cancer, which I do in the book, which is a pretty boring topic, which is why I weave in all these other stories, because it, it's, it's uh, pretty tough to get through without those. Uh, it's kind of this, this same message over and over again. And so you got to read up, you got to learn about what makes a healthy diet. You got to learn about what are the right activities to do. Um, and, and you got to eat real food. And if you do those things, the answer is right in front of you. And it's, it's not a 10 foods you should eat, 10 foods you shouldn't eat, uh, count your calories, use some app to do it. You don't, you don't need to do any of those things. And that, that's really the point of the book. 
Um, and it's a nuanced conversation, which people don't like, especially in 2021, right? You have to be on one side or the other and anything in between is, is pushed to the fringes of society. But that, that's where a lot of this book is. It says, hey, let's, let's back up. A lot of these conversations are really irrelevant if you're following a generally healthy lifestyle. Right. And I, I think that a lot of times it's, it's following common sense, but in 2021, common sense isn't that common anymore. So it's, yeah. it's about reminding people what's common sense, like what's kind of logical. And then looking back at it from a historical standpoint to reinforce that logic, right. Or that common sense perspective. 100%. And that's in, in the book, the protagonist, Leonardo is a, he's a shepherd. My great grandfather is a shepherd leaves Italy to work. I mean, he left Italy to work in a steel mill in Pittsburgh. So this guy has no formal education, but if you follow what he was doing from a health perspective, he's doing everything right because he used common sense and he used wisdom that was passed down to him from his father, who also had no education and his father and on and on and on. So, you know, we don't need MDs and PhDs to figure out what's healthy for us and what we've been eating for the past thousand years. A lot of this information is, is there and it's, it's readily available. It's just it's up to us to, to look into it or not. Yeah, for sure. And I know, um, you know, you, you've worked in, in the field of oncology um, and I know that can be emotional uh, or difficult at times, but uh, to kind of shift gears a little bit, not come back around, but, uh, working in that field, since you've been working in that field, I guess, uh, what are some things that you're encouraged by today? Um, you know, that that's kind of fueled your passion for your work. Yeah, there, there's much more openness now to addressing diet in general, fixing, fixing lifestyle habits and exercise. These are topics that were so disconnected from the medical field, especially the oncology field. You know, even, even 10 years ago, um, if you discussed diet and cancer, people looked at you like there's something wrong with you. And now it's a buzz. It's a buzzword. Everyone's interested. We have a lot of work to do. We need to figure out what exercise regimens are the best for cancer patients what dietary strategies are the best. The fact that we're even having that dialogue, whereas uh, a decade ago, it was, it was heresy to even mention the two together, is extremely encouraging. Um, I, I wish that the medical system as a whole would be a little more open and, well, promoted a bit more, but the fact that the dialogue is happening um, we, we have a, we have an exercise oncology center in, in Naples, Florida to gym where we send cancer patients down there. Um, so the fact that these things are happening, that, that's, that would be unheard of 10 years ago. It's extremely encouraging. And I think it's just the start of, of something very positive in the oncology arena. Right. And, um, you know, you, and you talk about exercise and diet and I think like in the last year, right. Um, we all kind of know that the world has shifted, but there's been this big buzzword of mental health now where mental health is a lot more accepted. There's a lot of thought leaders talking about it. Um, but I, you know, every one of them say very similar uh, parallels and that is exercise and diet affect mental health probably more than any other thing on the planet. Um, so it's, it's not just for cancer. I think it's for mental health and just overall wellness. 
Yeah, it, it's a it's the pill that hits basically every disease out there. If if it was a pill, it would you could charge a million dollars for it. And insurance would have to pay for it. But you're you're spot on. It you know it reduces the risk of most cancers coming back. It reduces the risk of metabolic disease. Uh, it improves mental health. It improves mobility. It improves quality of life. It, it just it crosses over so many thresholds that we should be promoting it to everyone. Our healthcare system should be paying for it. Uh, and, and every patient that walks through the door should be advised on how they, they should exercise and where they can go to do it. Yep. And speaking of that, I need to get back in the gym. I told you earlier that I've been uh, feeling a little bit. I had this sinus infection or something. We went to Disney on vacation and Brylan got it, my seven-year-old. So first four or five days, he had the sinus infection. And then a couple of days later, Brixton had it. And then the last day at Disney, I got it. And, uh, but I need to get back in the gym that, that, uh, that reminds me. So, um, that, that's my nudge today, but I, um, you know, you were, uh, and I don't know whenever you first spoke and I first heard you speak, I heard you talk about, because you've kind of been passionate around your position when it comes to medicine and health and wellness. Um, but I remember you talking about, and, um, I don't remember the specifics. That's what I'm going to ask you to, to kind of bring them back up, but, um, that you had to handle some criticism from maybe some more traditional practitioners or, or uh, you know, in the medical world or academia, um, you know, but kind of share, like, how did you handle those critics or criticisms toward your work and some of your passion? Yeah, I mean, initially, it, in, in, in residency, I, I try to publish a couple papers on the importance of diet and cancer and those um got trashed pretty good pretty thoroughly and it was upsetting but you know i i used it as 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 fuel to, to push ahead and it also I've, I've been critical about a lot of things i've been critical about the dietary recommendations i've been critical about the food pyramid uh, one of my first papers was extremely critical about our NCCN institutions, which are the major cancer centers in the country, and the dietary recommendations that they were making. So, you know, I've been critical, but it's it's more than just complaining about things. It's it's trying to get people to change. So the fact that they've been critical. Oh, sorry, there's my dog. The fact that they've been critical of of me has pushed me to 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 prove my point, to show that there's, there's backing behind these things. So, um, as, as frustrating as it was initially, it gave me the ammo to, to keep on chugging away and, and the fuel to push ahead. Whereas, you know, maybe if, if they were more accepting, it would have been more like, okay, we're done on to the next thing. So it's, it's, uh, it has its own positive sides to it, I guess. Yeah, and I think that, you know, that they have the, the whole saying about critics, right? Statues were never, uh, built uh, because of the critics. But, um, you know, I started a company uh, back in early 2000s and the company's name is Isaac. And it all, it stood for a philosophy I learned from a mentor of mine, Isaac, when you zag. So like if everyone in the field's talking about this and going this way, to me, I always want to go the opposite direction because that's where there is distinctions and solutions that no one else is thinking of, right? It's the herd mentality, right? Yep. Is um, and I think that everyone's listening to this podcast, whether it's diet, nutrition, or just overall life, um, don't be afraid of criticism, um, you know, and don't be afraid of, uh, bucking, um, you know, people's opinions because 
uh, I think that that's the best way to challenge to get the best result or the best answer. And so um, I definitely appreciate and can respect and uh, understand what you've been through uh, through that. And hopefully you'll you'll continue to forge on. Yeah, and especially I, I agree 100 percent, especially in, in medicine, in a lot of fields, if, if you're ruffling feathers and irritating some people, that means you're you're doing something right. Right. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, so I think that's encouraging for everyone listening in. I mean, even some of the smartest people in the world, like Dr. Champ, um, you know, they don't get to where they're at uh, without setbacks or pushbacks or criticism, um, you know, and so obviously if something's going to be great, you can expect opposition, right? If you're absolutely uh, on a mission, you can expect people to try to stop you. And um, it's guaranteed. So, yeah, for sure. Um, and I know I, I heard that uh, you talk a little bit about a book that you read earlier this year uh, around the importance uh, that walls play in our life. I think it was the history of civilization and blood and brick by David Fry. Yes. So what, yeah, uh, yeah, I love, tell I, uh, us a little bit about what you learned or, or your experience in the book. <laughs> we, uh, so my, my wife and I, we love to travel. We love architecture. We love older buildings. And we have this weird thing about, we love walls. She loves doors. We take pictures of walls and doors from, especially around Italy. And that, that book, uh, actually from another, another fellow Duke, uh, Duke alum, um, well, I'm a Duke now, but he's a Duke alum. Uh, and he talks about all these societies, why they put up walls and how they're, they're twofold. They're to keep people in and also to keep people out. And as I was reading it with so much negativity going on, the, the news and all these other sources just kind of spewing really negative things. Uh, I, I wrote an article in one of my newsletters about the importance of putting walls up around yourself, uh, letting in positive people around you family members and friends those people that that make you grow and make you a better person and also the importance of putting walls around those those people that don't because we all know those people in our lives and there's there's really nothing you can do oftentimes which just just wall them off and uh it's the same thing that civilization around the world have been doing for thousands and thousands of years and uh it's it's worked for me quite quite well to, to keep the negative influences out and keep the positive in Awesome. So this is a good book for anyone to read. Um, So, you know, but I I can uh, attest to that. I mean, I think that um, proximity has such power, right? The proximity of the people that you're around, the environments that uh, you set your own standards with. And that I think for a lot of people, they, um, they discount how important that role plays on our lives and even our happiness and our growth and our fulfillment in the way that we can contribute. And so, uh, so I, I heard you talk about that. I just wanted to hear uh, a little bit of your perspective. I have not checked out the book yet, but I want to check it out because it has a lot of parallels to what I believe um, just in terms of the importance of your peer group. Yeah. Worth, worth checking out. It's very history heavy, but it's good. Awesome. Well, I'll try to, get through it. I'm not a, I'm not a huge reader if it's super deep. <laughs> so maybe they have a cliff notes version, but no, but I really do. It really intrigued me. It interests me. So, um, all right. So listen, in closing, um, I know you have two books kind of share with everyone if they want to check out some of your work, uh, where they can, um, find your books and a little bit about, uh, what they're about. If you don't mind giving just a quick snapshot. Sure. So, 
both are in any bookstore, Barnes Noble, misguided or uh, Amazon, all those places. Uh, first one's misguided medicine. Again, just just trying to give you the the power to take your health into your own hands and and really the, the science uh, as to why I'm I'm making the recommendations that I'm making in the book. Each of the chapters are short. It's quick. It's it's meant to be a, a quick read um, or or think something you can pick up and put down quite often. It only takes couple minutes to finish each chapter. And then the next book is Miss, or excuse me, is uh, Leonardo's Legacy. Uh, and that's the one we discussed. And that is a bit longer. It is a longer read. It is heavy scientific, but full of anecdotes throughout. So I would ask you to please read Leonardo's Legacy. I think it's the most important uh, cancer diet related book. And it's really, I've had thousands of patients ask me questions and really those those questions have been compiled and that, that's how the book was was really written these are the things that people want to know these are the questions that patients ask me over and over again and that book is an answer to those questions so i guarantee you if you were to read it there would be many questions that you have answered in that book awesome all right well you guys heard it check them out and um as we say farewell one of the things that i always like to ask is i believe that um, success leads clues, right? So I think everything is about a predictable pattern or uh, we all have rituals. So whatever ritual we do on a daily basis, long-term uh, can predict our future. So if you don't mind, because I know that there's people that are constantly either shifting the rituals or trying to learn new rituals or non-negotiables in their lives um, in terms of setting the tone of their day or just like daily uh, method of operation or habits, um, do you mind sharing just a few of your daily habits for your health uh, that kind of sets the tone for your day or gets you on track that uh, we all can maybe try on for size and challenge ourselves to be better? Sure. Uh, my non-negotiable is I, I go to bed early, uh, very early, some, sometimes incredibly early that my friends make fun of me. Uh, and I get up very early <laughs> as well. And every morning before turning on any devices, my phone, my computer. There's, it's just my time before I open up to the rest of the world. I make coffee, I sit down and read a good book or a paper. Uh, and I, no matter what, if I have a busy day ahead of me, I wake up a little earlier and I always get in like a solid hour of, of reading time and just kind of waking up and opening up. And then once that's done, then I kind of, kind of start the day and let, let the rest of the world know that, uh, that I'm awake, but again, not till I have my hour or so of my time. It's so funny. I've heard a lot of smart people in the last two or three years say, don't wake up and go right to your device. Right. Like, and that's a challenge. Like that is a yep. very hard habit to break. Um, you know, so that's, that's a habit I have to break because it sits right there. And like, as soon as I wake up, I want to go to it, but it actually, yeah. sometimes it throws me like I'm now reacting to the day instead of leading the day. Exactly. Um, but one of the things, so when you say go to bed early, because I've always heard sleep is a weapon, what is early? So recently it's, and, and I've, I've a dog, I have a young daughter who gets us up very early, like, you know, five 30 ish. Um, so, you know, mo most days if I'm up at nine 30, that's late for me. Okay. So now I heard this and being a doctor, you might be able to, uh, to validate this or not, someone told me a long time ago that after 
uh, every hour that you can sleep before 11 in a deep REM, it takes two or three hours after 11 o'clock to get the same amount of rest. Is there any truth to that or is there any science behind it or is that just like a wives' tale? I don't know because I've heard that before and someone in my family used to say that as well, one of my one of my like great aunts. Um, and I've heard sleep researchers say that as well. I don't know if there's science to back it. I personally feel that way 100%. If I, yeah, if I got you know, it's hormone then, related, right? Like your yeah. hormones, like replenish, fire, whatever. Uh, but even, I was just curious. Even especially in the winter when it gets dark very early, I go to bed even earlier. But you know, at that point, your your brain's producing melatonin. You're you're getting tired. You're, you're supposed to be asleep, right? If we didn't have electronic devices and all these other things you know, sending blue light into our brains, we would all be asleep. So we're artificially keeping ourselves awake. So it right. stands Which to reason just, that it's good to be out. Awesome. So get more sleep, go to bed early, get or go to bed early, get up early. So, yes. um, well, I appreciate it. And uh, hopefully we'll be able to see you at maybe one of our events in the near future, if we can continue that, to keep having them. That'd be great. So uh, keep, keep your fingers crossed. And then uh, if there's anything that we can do to support you, we want to support you. Um, you know, I don't know if you have a social media channel that you care if people follow. If so, people that want to follow you, um, where can they find you? So the, can they the, find you? Yeah, you can find me. The, the biggest thing, my website's Colin Champ, C-O-L-I-N-C-H-A-M-P.com. I have a newsletter through there. Um, and that's really where you're going to get more of the real me. I have a, I do have a Twitter page, uh, but I've systematically just been getting rid of my social media as it's, it's just, those, they're all turning into war zones one by one. So Twitter's the only one left. Um, but my, my newsletter is the, the best place to interact with me. There's an email through the newsletter. So if you email me, we'll chat and it's more a one-on-one, not, not on Twitter where 80,000 people can see our conversation. All right. Awesome. Well, appreciate your time. Congratulations on the, uh, upcoming, uh, the new baby and the one, uh, in November, uh, you're going to have your hands full. So you're going to need that sleep, right? Yes, exactly. Unfortunately, I think there's going to be a period without that sleep. So we'll see how that goes. (laughs) (laughs) So build up that sleep bag. All right. Well, we appreciate it. You guys check out Colin Champ. Check out his books. Uh, He's actually super awesome. uh, Mm -hmm. And he can he can play a little basketball, too. Can you still dunk? Uh, That's that. That's that's a moving target right now. We're we're, uh, (laughs) there's a hoop. The only hoop by me that they kept the nets on is just over nine feet. I could I could do some pretty good dunks on it, but it it's not ten foot. So my wife hey, makes fun of me. But you're still dunking, you know? Yes, yeah, true. Listen, I true. think they should move the goal lower as we get older, <laughs> don't you? I, I would agree. <laughs> yes. All right. Well, um, check him out and um we will talk to everybody soon. Thanks for having me. All right. All right. What about cars? You, you, you still in the cars? Uh, I am. I got a, uh, I got a, a, a similar car to yours. Not, not with the body kit, but I got an uh, Akron SX. Oh, awesome. You like yeah. it? So yeah, it's, you're it's, supposed to be getting, you're supposed to be getting bigger cars when you have kids. You realize that, right? Not smaller ones. They're, they're just like two cars that I can't really do much with. So I gotta, I gotta figure that out. Do you like the NSX? How about you? 
Um, yeah, yeah, I love it. I've got. I mean, it's. I haven't gotten any. Uh, well, I just got a car. I'm excited about. I got the new Ferrari Roma uh, that's going to be sent here. But I've sold probably 15 cars in the last mm-hmm. three months because, like, the Ferrari 488, I had it for four years. I have 9,000 miles on it, and I sold it for 10,000 off a sticker. So I basically drove the car for four years for 10 grand. Like the car market's nuts right now because, and then um, it's so I, because I'm, I think that it's going to soften up and I'll be able to go back and buy them if I want them. Yeah, I think you're right. The, the other car I got is, it's my favorite car, nothing fancy, but uh, 1996 Lexus LX450. It's the Land Cruiser. Oh, I love it. I bought and totally restored it. And my, my wife's like, you're, you're out of your mind buying a 25-year-old Toyota. And then when we fixed it up, she's like, all right, now I know what you mean. This is like the best cruise. That thing car. will drive forever. Yeah. You need, you need to tell her to listen to Hypnotized by Biggie Smalls. Remember Biggie when he said, yeah. LX, four and a half. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Do you remember that song? Yep. <laughs> Oh, man. I wanted that car so bad, like 1996, 97. I mean, I couldn't afford it, but like I thought it was the coolest. And all the rappers were getting into it. Yep. And that's another one where I bought it. wasn't a lot. You know, I fixed it up. And then Joe Rogan buys one and fixes it up. And now they're going for like an insane amount of money. Oh, really? I didn't even know that he did it. Yeah, because there was uh, one on auction with 60K miles and I went to buy it. It needed a lot of work, but it sold for like almost 40K for a car that needs probably another 20K in it. So, it was, I mean, for, for old Toyotas, it's a little bananas. But, but they do run forever. I mean, they really yeah. do. They're great cars. 